As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everybody and welcome back to another episode of wings for breakfast our twice weekly red wings podcast here on the athletic i'm max boltman with me as always is prashant Iyer. we are presented by BetMGM, and the red wings are now staring down some clarity here not the kind you're probably hoping for in the form of an end of season uh, press conference in the form of announcement on jeff blaschel but nonetheless something significant and that the vancouver canucks by coming back uh with a late rally against calgary sunday night have passed the Red Wings in the standings. That sews up the sixth best lottery odds for the Red Wings uh, two weeks out from the draft lottery. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's almost the opposite of I just have to do it myself. The Red Wings actually were able to get a lot of help from a lot of other people. I mean, coming down the stretch as the Red Wings chose to go 6-4-4, four, and four, they ultimately end up getting to sit sixth, um, you know, with from the draft lottery perspective as Ottawa had a strong finish to their season. Calgary's able to do just enough. And then, Vancouver comes from behind to make sure that they can uh, finish behind the Red Wings. So all that's to say, uh, the Red Wings will draft eighth in the 2021 NHL <laughs> draft, and we can proceed at that point because we know what's going to happen. So the NHL hasn't confirmed the odds. Is that right? Like they haven't confirmed what the specific breakdown is even like, I don't think it's a guarantee that it's the same as past years, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, to my knowledge, like the pick odds are going to be like the 18 and a half, 13 and a half, 11 and a half, nine and a half. Like it's been in years past, but you're right. Like when Vegas was added in, they actually followed different lottery odds than what had been done under the 2017 change. So I don't know that I'm actually officially seen it confirmed, whether it'll be this 18 and a half, 13 and a half, 11 for the top three, which would mean Detroit would have a seven and a half percent at the, uh, uh, first overall, 7.8 at second overall, um, 42 at 7, 34 at 6, and then 8.6 at 8. I don't know if it's going to 
follow that format if there is going to be something different um, like it was in, in 2018 with Vegas. You'd figure at least something has to change because there is another team. Like there's one more team than normal. Usually it's a 15 team lottery this year. It's a 16 team. Now one of these teams is not eligible, but they still have Arizona. They still have lottery combinations. And if they get drawn, then it just goes to a redraw. So you figure there has to be some kind of tweaking. It's just a matter of, is, are we talking about, you know, 0.1, 0.2, off? Or are we talking about like 1% to 2% off, which could be a substantial difference. Nonetheless, I think if we do go off of the old um, odds, you can still kind of see it taking shape for what's probably going to happen here. And that is, like you said, most likely is actually going to be seventh with 42%. Uh, and, and again, this is this will change. So let's just say, you know, the most likely is seventh. The, the narrowly next most likely is sixth, and then it's a huge drop-off, and rather unlikely is eighth, rather unlikely is second, and rather unlikely is first. But those three are all about the same odds. Very good chance that this is sixth or seventh for the Red Wings. Yeah, and then, I mean, knowing the lottery luck and, and how often the Red Wings have dropped each of the last couple of years, I think, uh, you know, get comfortable with them picking <laughs> seventh yes. uh, as their most likely outcome here. I'll just say that. I think that's uh, some wise advice there. Um, I'm going to have my some of my mock draft scenarios coming out later this week that will actually have one pick at each of those spots. Uh, so you can get excited for that. Uh, and I'm sure as we get to the mailbag portion, there's usually something of that nature in there that maybe we can look forward to. Um, but the NHL playoffs have started. And so two kind of main segments I wanted to get to today for us. Um, we will get to our kind of predictions of which we now have, uh, you know, one game of sample for half of the series to to draw on. Uh, we like to stack the deck in our favor that way. Uh, and then we're going to get to what became a, a very big talking point on Twitter last night. Um, the Nikita Kucherov situation and specifically the Tampa Bay LTIR. Uh, right now, I think their payroll is something like $100 million in the playoffs um, because the playoffs have no salary cap, they are able to manage that because they had Kucherov on LTIR all season and then Stamkos on LTIR uh, late in the season. Uh, I think both of us think it's a little uh, ridiculous that it is happening, um, but I think we maybe come at it a little different for where, like, who bears the burden of that, uh, of that uh, anger, I guess, or, or frustration from around the NHL fandom. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I think that's fair. I think it's just been, it's been really the, the reason we are where we are right now is because the NHL has sort of inconsistently applied penalties to teams that attempt to get around this hard salary cap. Um, you know, we we saw an extreme example: the New Jersey Devils get penalized. They're forced to. They have a contract voided. Yep. They have um, a pick stripped from them for trying to sign, you know, Ilya Kovalchuk to, you know, that very lengthy, I think it ended up being like a 12-year deal or something like that. Um, and in other scenarios, we've seen the NHL change the rules. Uh, you know, when the Red Wings used to exploit these back-ended uh, or back-loaded contracts, um, you know, you see the NHL introduce this, oh, we have a cap recapture penalty, and, and now that's this new thing here. But then at the other extreme, you've also seen the NHL sort of kind of cover their eyes to different things that have allowed teams to sort of get around this hard salary cap. We saw, you know, an example in 2014, 2015, with the Blackhawks sort of cruising and, and really dominating the NHL. January of that season, Patrick Kane ends up with an injury and 
you know, the Blackhawks put him on LTIR, and all of a sudden the pressers at that time are Kane's done for the season, Kane's done for the season. How does this impact the Blackhawks? Well, you know, one month later they go out, they trade for Antoine Vermette, they go, they trade for Kimo Timonen, and guess who's back for game one of the playoffs? It's Patrick Kane, and oh, by the way, he'd actually been skating, you know, a couple weeks prior to that, just similar to Kucherov. And so seeing the NHL kind of take that sort of stance on it really has allowed these teams to sort of get away with it to where you are, where you're at right now. And and teams take advantage of it in different ways. And obviously this Tampa um, example is by far the most extreme example we've ever seen where, you know, a player making nine plus million dollars sits the entire season um, to keep a team effectively cap compliant. We'll obviously never know the extent of how much recovery time Kucherov truly needed, but you know, sure enough, back game one, scores two goals, gets an assist on the game-winning goal, and it certainly doesn't feel great about it. But to me, the, the, all the anger should be directed towards the NHL's rules and how they've sort of inconsistently applied penalties to them. So yours is more about the – because to me, I think it's more about the enforcement. But you, I thought, based on kind of how we were interacting on Twitter last night, you don't like the way the rule is written even. Yeah, I think the rule is terrible, and I think the way it's written is it's enforced terribly. And so I think inconsistent enforcement of a terrible rule has sort of let us end up where we are. I mean, I have a huge issue with just the concept of long-term injured reserved and the way the NHL chooses to handle it. And I think that's probably a very different uh, viewpoint from from a lot of people. But I think, you know, if we're getting to the heart of the rule, um, I think there's sort of two ways that LTIR gets used. One is for actual long-term injured reserved needs um, where a team can then place a player on, on, on LTIR. And what ends up happening at that point is depending on how close to the salary cap um, a team actually is, that's how much cap relief they get. So if a team is fully at the cap and places a player on long-term injured reserve, um, at that point, the team would get the entirety of that player's cap hit as allowed excess over the hard cap. Um, and then similarly, you know, if they're not at the salary cap, then that player's cap still counts um, for the entire amount uh, towards the cap there. Um, but what the, the problem I've sort of taken with the way the rule is, is teams have found ways to exploit that. And namely, I think the way it's been exploited is by teams having these guys who are LTI retirement. They're never coming back. It's Johan Franz and it's Henrik Zetterberg. It's David Clarkson. It's, you know, you name it. These guys sit on LTIR for three or four years, and because of the way the rule is written, what these teams every summer, what they do is they find a way to spend all the way up to the cap. Then they place <clears throat> said player on LTIR, and at that point, they're able to then extract an extra you know, X amount of dollars based on the cap hit for said player. The Red Wings did this for years with Franzen um, you know, being able to sit on LTIR, and the Leafs did this with David Clarkson up until his contract finally expired last season. And it's it's almost another way of cap circumvention that just doesn't get talked about in that uh, same regard. And, and, and to me, I have just a huge issue with the way that is written and then the way that's sort of allowed to happen. I think that's fair. So I think we're actually a little closer here than I, I maybe realized coming into the show. Because my big thing, I, I do think that there's a place for LTIR and I get the logic, but you made a comment to me kind of as we were texting this morning that I hadn't really considered before of, you know, to me, what I like about LTIR is I don't think that it's like anyone's fault when someone gets injured 
and that when someone gets injured for a really long time, a team should be able to, in a, in a world that is encumbered by a salary cap, which I generally am not a fan of salary caps, period. So once one is in place, a player gets injured, especially a highly paid player gets injured. I like that a team can go replace them um, and, and spend still to the cap because they're already being kind of, you know, strapped by the the salary cap. And I like that, that you know, they don't get maybe uh, extra unlucky because of the injury. But I think kind of to your point, well, what else would happen when you have a really highly paid player get injured? How is that not, uh, you know, like, like what did you expect was going to happen? Did you expect that everything was going to be fine? Like that's kind of how things go. If a guy gets hurt in the middle of the game, you can't bring on a, a similar replacement. So it, it, it's, I don't know if I am fully there with you, but I was a little more uh, open to that idea than I expected to be when you laid it out that way. Like, you know, ultimately, why should a team be able to exceed the salary cap when one of their best players gets injured? If I have a, you know, if I have, uh, I don't know, I get there's there's any number of, of analogies you can use, but I just think even like in a game, you, then you just have to play without them. And that's them's the breaks, right? Um, if you're going to decide on a salary cap, which is an inherent a, a, an inherent difference in sports than to any other industry, that's what happens. Um, I understand that. My I guess my my flip side is when b- because it is out of control, especially when it's like really long term. And I'm not just talking about uh, a season, but a career. I do think you know it's really unfair to a franchise and, and to a fan base to just be screwed for two, three, four, five years, something like that. I think there's got to be some kind of recourse there uh, to allow teams to then get back into kind of competitive fire. Because if you're, pay- if you're playing with $8 million less of, of a budget every year, which some teams have to do regardless of the salary cap, but uh, you're just at such a disadvantage. I don't know how, how you can really square that. But I do get in season, um, maybe, maybe there is room to look at like how – how LTIR is applied to in-season cases, to non-career-ending cases, which is not something I was kind of prepared to be considering last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down to two separate buckets of how you want to view um, these players. It's it's the short, really the shorter-term LTIR, if you want to call it that, and then the LTIR, that's a career-ending injury. I think starting with the ones that are career-ending injuries, my biggest gripe about it is, I agree, in a hard salary cap era, it would be, you know, totally unfair to penalize a team for eight years, uh, you know, if if that's what ends up happening in a hard cap hit, you know, environment, right. which is what the NHL is. At the same time, the way the rule is written, the team is effectively, if they spend their money right, they can actually get double that player's cap hit in space because they first make the decision to spend all the way to the cap, and then they place that player on LTIR in the summer. And they now exceed the cap by that player's cap hit versus but if not. You, but that just makes them whole. I mean, does it make it? It doesn't make it whole because in that scenario, right? If you so let's say you know you're the Tampa Bay Lightning in the summer, and Nikita Kucherov gets injured, yeah. right? And so what you can do at that point in the summer is you spend Kucherov's nine and a half million dollars to yeah. come right back up to the salary cap. Yeah. But then you put Kucherov on LTIR. Right. And you gain nine and a half million in salary cap. But you don't your salary cap becomes eighty one point five plus Kucherov's salary. But right. Kucherov's salary is still included in that. So you don't get to you know so like it's really just getting you back to where pre Kucherov, basically. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. In a sense of like you're still able to spend on that. I guess the the issue I have 
um, to, you know, with that and to a certain extent for some of these career ending guys is like, why should, I guess, teams be able to use that as almost leverage to continue to stay whole versus why should they not just be forced to waive the contract? What, you know, you get, it's effectively the same thing, but I mean, some of these players have become assets just because of the way the contract moves. Is, so is, what, what happens, um, in the, in the waiver to you, that's different. Cause if, if you waive someone and he clear, like if I, if the Red Wings had waived Henrik Zetterberg on day one of this season and he had cleared, then nothing changes for them. Yeah. No, no. So I, so I, I get what you're saying in that. Like if you waive Henrik Zetterberg, then, then nothing changes in, in that regard. I guess the issue I sort of have is the way that these contracts have actually, you know, sort of obtained some value in the regard that people will move them to other teams for, you know, purposes of being able to take on excess dollars or spend excess dollars is sort of where I'm getting at. Like as means of getting up to the cap and then they can at that point put those guys on LTIR and then when they end up becoming whole, that then allows them to have effectively a cap hit that exceeds, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the actual salary cap is. I guess that's my biggest beef is the way you arrive at uh, the lightning being at a hundred million dollars is because they were able to spend up until, you know, basically replace Kucherov's salary and then hit this playoff environment where there's no cap. And now they can bring all of that back and do the yeah. same thing. Whereas, you know, if you're forced to waive a contract in that regard, now that wouldn't apply to Kucherov's scenario here yeah. because he he's not a LTIR situation. But I guess it's that issue where effectively you are carrying a greater than cap it is my beef with it. So, to me, that comes back to more just having a salary cap in the season and no salary cap in the. I get to, to me like that's like if you said salary cap is still the salary cap in the playoffs. If you want to, you know, gamble and add someone at the trade deadline or whatever, and then your guy gets healthy, well, like you're then you're going to forfeit a pick or something if that if that happens, you know. Which ultimately, you know, will come down to. And, and this is the the. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But like, do you see what I mean? Like, I think if you just said salary cap doesn't go away in the postseason, I think that sounds like eighty five percent of these, like especially like, and I don't know Nikita Nikita Kucherov situation. I want to give that disclaimer uh, right off the hop here. But I think I can speak for a vast majority of people in the hockey world when I see him step on the ice after being. You, you tell me he's totally incapable of playing a week ago, or, or, or not at one hundred percent a week ago, and then he's scoring three points and looking like one of the best players on the ice a week later. Like it's a little sketchy is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. And I think everyone is, you know, well within their rights to be skeptical of it. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll never know, but you know, the fact that I think he was skating, what was it? Eight weeks after they made the announcement. Um, I mean, I don't know what the timeline is for an injury like this. Um, and everyone is well within their right to be skeptical of the way it was handled. I mean, I think Joe Smith though, you know, with the athletic put out an article saying the NHL did their quote right. unquote due diligence. And it happened. Like uh, Evgeny Svechnikov yeah. was skating uh, in the season that he had his ACL. He was skating by year's end and he wasn't playing by year's end. Like it, it, there is a difference between good enough to skate and good enough to play. Uh, and I don't know Kucherov's health situation well enough to know. But I just think when you see someone be immediately that dominant, it raises the red flag of like, really, you weren't healthy for the final four games of the season or something like that. And at that point, I do think you're splitting hairs. Like at that point, you're kind of just mad to be mad. And I get that. But I just think like the reason it is revving people up so much isn't because like they're mad that Kucherov didn't play in the final three games. It's that I think it's highlighting what you're talking about, which is these rules are just so 
questionably like and part of it's just transparency thing we just don't know what the nhl like when we say the nhl is satisfied that no further action needs to be taken just none of us know what that means like like what did the nhl do to arrive at that conclusion yada yada like it's just uh it's a it's a continued confusion that everyone thinks well and and it happens every time someone uh, goes on ltir people are like oh does he really have that is it really career ending is marion hosa really have this skin condition all that stuff um, and I don't love that stuff, to be honest. Like I, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I get that where it's coming from, I think is people are, and, and I would, I guess, fall in a group, uh, not quite a people who are mad about like the conditions, but who are just, aren't totally satisfied that this rule is being enforced at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to your point there, and, and I think that a lot, a lot of the discourse I saw was people, I guess, number one, not having a clear understanding of how much or what if the NHL really investigated right. The scenario to determine that it was above water. And then second, you know, a lot of people really fixated on the whole, the cap hit is higher than, you know, whatever the NHL's hard cap is. And that's because A, the NHL just decides to waive the, the salary cap in the playoffs because of, you know, unknown reasons. I can't really come up with a good reason why that should exist. And then, yeah. you know, second, because of the way LTR, you know, works, um, it actually allows those teams to exceed it. And then if it's, it basically plays into exactly, that's the whole reason why I wanted you know, NHL teams to waive the contract, you know, and things along those lines is if you're going to have no salary cap in the playoffs, you don't really ever run into this scenario. Yeah. If you waive that contract and you don't allow, you know, teams to kind of abuse it in this regard. Um, and it, and then, you know, the transparency piece of things. So the point I was trying to make last night um, with this is, is the NBA has sort of sought to address this because the NBA had a big issue with this and they said, okay, we're going to really crack down on this and we're going to create something called an inactive list. And you can put anyone you want on the inactive list, but if you want it to be a long-term career-ending like injury where you are basically threat, you know, you think the player is not going to make it back, you have to actually submit a request to the fit-to-play committee. And at that point, they either have an independent physician or the fit-to-play committee that actually reviews the case of the player and makes a determination on whether or not an injury is career ending. And then if it is determined to be career ending, then you get that salary cap benefit, but it doesn't start till one year from the last game that player played. And so you can just see so many more of the hoops that you have to jump through to make sure that all of this is above board. It's laid out. Whereas, you know, again, in the NHL, oh, I'm just going to put this guy in LTIR because, hey, guess what? Today I need cap relief and Marion Host is done because he has a skin condition that's plagued him for 12 years, but just now is a problem the minute I need. Like, it drives that narrative. And and having a system like that where all of that's in place, and then, you know, to the player's credit, if a player is able to come back in the NBA and prove that physician wrong because they work hard and they come back and they play 25 games, that cap hit goes right back on. And so it's like, there's not an elegant solution here, but I do think you have to have stricter kind of rules on who gets to be placed on LTIR. Um, how are you going to handle those career-threatening injuries? What's the cap implication of those career-threatening injuries and not allowing you know, teams to uh, just sit with the contract? You have to move it. Um, and same thing, even if you have LTIR in the middle of a season for a player you expect back, why should you get cap relief for that? Yeah. You're actually effectively allowing teams to abuse this because at the end of the day, you have, a, you have no salary cap in the playoffs. So there's so many different things that I think need to be addressed here. You can decide whether you want to tackle the no cap in the playoffs, you want to tackle the way LTIR applies, but across the board, the entire system's broken and there's no transparency. And 
as a result, you're going to have endless controversy. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To me, number one, I find it a little bit like painful to even like be harping on this because it's like, I I don't know where you're at. Are Are you pro salary cap in general? Would you like to see a no salary cap world or where are you at on that? Um, I sort of like the NBA's model where it's a soft salary cap and then you have a luxury tax on top where if teams want to spend up to it, you can spend up to it. I don't really like the the baseball uh, way of things with no salary cap. So that's sort of be my ideal model. All right. I'm good. I'm good with that. I don't like the hard cap full stop, though. Like, I, I think that sucks. Yeah. And so I wish that there was whether it be a soft cap with luxury tax or, you know, MLB is basically like that, too. MLB's got luxury tax that, that functions as a soft cap as well. So I, I think that's a lot more, uh, you know, kind of in line with how my my worldview, I guess, what I would like to see things. So it pains me to be arguing for like hard enforcement of the cap. Right. Like it's like the kind of thing of like it's a rule that I don't like. So why would I want to see it like better enforced? But I think it's just because like it doesn't mean a thing if you don't enforce it. So why even have it? And why like why are players having to take worse salaries and do this flat cap dance at the NHL? Because, oh, it's it's such a crunch, whatever. But, oh, it's not such a crunch. The Lightning can't exceed it by 20% comfortably. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think normally my, my stance here would be screw the salary cap, break the rules as much as possible. Just like how I think in a game, you should get away with as much as you can. Hold guys sticks, whatever you want to do. You know, if you can get away with a little hook, if you can get away with a little hack, do it. And if you don't get called, more power to you. Like, it's kind of how I feel about salary cap. It's just whatever you can get away with, more power to you. But I think uh, in this case, I, it just rubs me a little different. Number one, because in the LTIR uh, situation, I don't love the position that it puts players into. And I think that when it, when a team is in a, such a bind that a player often will, you know, end up on LTIR for a career ending or whatever it may be. And again, I don't know anything about any of these individual cases. Uh, so I'm not trying to, but, but one of the first, I'm not trying to like, you know, speak to any individual situations. One of the first places my, my mind goes is what must it be like to be a player who it's borderline and you would love to see, you would love to test it and see if you could come back, make, get another season out of it, all that stuff, you know, finish out this career or whatever it might be. But there's kind of a clear sense that the team might be better off if you just LTIR'd, not retired because you're not going to get your money that way, but LTIR'd. And it seems to be kind of the happy medium there. Uh, Cause you, you, you know, if you're a player who would rather keep going, which is the premise of, you know, LTIR, you can't be a player who would prefer to retire. You're a player who would, would keep playing if they could. 
Um, but you physically can't, but, but if you're not sold that like that, you know, if, if you, um, if you think you, you could make a run at it, like, I, I just wonder how often with like two, three years left on a contract, a guy is like rolled out forever. Um, and like, could they make a comeback in a year if they put the work in? Like, and if I'm a, if I'm a guy who's an NHL player, I tend to think those guys are guys who can do absurd things and who kind of have their whole lives rejected what we think of as possible for the human body. Um, it makes me sad to think of a player who doesn't get to take that swing. Do I know any instance of such a player? Absolutely not. No fucking clue if that happens, but it's something that my mind goes to that every single time one of these LTIRs happen. And in, in this case with Kucherov, again, no specifics here. I don't know anything, but if I'm a player, would I want to get like a few tune up games before stepping into an NHL playoff series? If at all possible, I would kind of prefer that, yeah, uh, but I would if I, if I knew it was worse for my team, would I rush into it? Absolutely not. It wouldn't make sense to do that. So I, I just think it the, the way the LTR is set up is worse for players in that situation than it needs to be. Um, and I don't know that any of the things we've talked about solve that, um, but that's one of my biggest, like, ah, it just grinds my gears about the way LTIR works. I just wonder about the pressures it puts on players and I'm not going to call it like coercion or anything like that, but like the pressure it puts on players to like influence their decision-making, even if ever so slightly. And again, I'm speculating wildly. I have no idea if there's anything to this, but it's where my head goes when I hear this. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. If if you have an LTIR, that's not a career threatening injury. Why should you get salary cap relief for that? Why should a team derive salary cap relief? Because if well, they again, don't, I don't think they should, but, but the argument is like, how, how can you tell what is or isn't career ending and like what role, like, like, like if a, if a doctor says like, you know, this would be grounds for not playing again. Is there a guy who can say, well, I want to play again. And like, is it going to like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like who decides what's career ending? I think is like a, a, a key question in, in that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. And that's why, you know, I like the NA, or the NBA's model of having this fit to play committee that, that you know, can in, almost appoint like an independent arbiter um, or an independent physician or something along those lines to to make a determination. But that, that should purely be viewed from the team's perspective, because at that point, the team gets the cap relief. But that's not telling the player they can't come back, right. because if the player comes back and they play 25 games, that cap hit goes right back on the on the team. Yeah. But I guess my my sort of point uh, with regard to some of those decisions about like whether or not a player should come back uh, and you know they're you know from Kucherov's perspective uh, specifically if his cap hit never went away as it does in the NHL right now because he was not a career ending injury then there's no then then Tampa handles him differently right they, they bring them back in the lineup because it doesn't change their cap structure they're not waiting out for this. We assume, century. we presume. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we presume that they probably yeah. bring him back. But I guess my point is like with these shorter term injuries that are, you know, someone tore their ACL, they're out for the season. Why does an NHL team get cap relief for that? I, I mean, yeah, injuries I, that's happen. a good question. It, it's it's something that like it's it was kind of a no brainer to me. But in hindsight, just because that's the way it's always been. Like, yeah. like I don't know why. Like, why? Why? Like, you don't get goal relief you don't get scoreboard relief when you lose a player for the whole season like why do you I mean, get cap relief for that yeah i mean to me that's just a fundamental part of ltr that makes no sense like setting aside those ones that are ltr retirements 
I don't understand why when you just have an injury that takes 30 days, why you get cap relief for that. Um, to me, that it's, doesn't make any sense. It's a you're good still, question. You're still paying the player and it, it ends up doing exactly what you said. Like now the team is, has to get whole from a cap standpoint. Um, I mean, look at, you know, look at Vegas, right? They ended up playing a game with what, 10 forwards and five yes. defensemen yeah. because of their cap situation and how they, they couldn't bring anybody in because these injuries were right. still. So, so all, you get into a situation where a three week injury is long term or isn't long term, right. but a five week injury, you get cap relief. Right. And so I guess that's, that's part of my issue with just the way LTIR is, is I don't think those shorter term injuries, meaning non-career threatening injuries should give you any sort of cap relief. I mean, quote unquote shit happens and like you're going to have injuries and, and that's the nature of the game. Um, and then with some of these longer term ones, like we talked about, I mean, have an independent, you know, arbiter, have an independent physician, have a, a committee that makes a determination here that's strictly about the team being able to get the cap relief. Um, and then, you know, we didn't even talk about one of these other aspects, but something you mentioned earlier, all of these LTI retirements that are for the, that would have been cap recapture penalties. Yeah. That's another cap circumvention, right? Yeah. That is, I mean, Zetterberg retiring, but sitting on LTIR instead of actually retiring is a cap is cap circumvention. Is it not? No, I mean, if you think that he, so that's where I come down to like the ease of being able to put someone on LTR. If you think that he if you think that he wanted to keep playing, then yes, it is. But yeah. if you think that he couldn't, then it's that. But like, but again, that gets in the question, like, is it a medical retirement or is it not? And I just would not presume on any given, like even like the Hosa one, I know it sounds funny. It's like the, the skin condition thing. It doesn't sound like the tip, like, you know, you talk about hockey players, what all they play through. Like, I, I can't sit here and tell you that Marion Hosa wasn't in agony over all this. I, I can't sit here and tell you that. I'm not going to sit here and presume that. But I think the point that, and, and same for obviously Zetterberg with his back. I'm just not going to sit here and presume to tell you what was bearable, what was not, and all that stuff. Because, like, honestly, all these guys have higher pain tolerances than me. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, would, what would end my career? They're probably playing through in the playoffs right now. So, like, it's really hard for me to know. Uh, and and at, at some point, sometimes values change, especially when you get into, like, head stuff. Like, you can have your second concussion, and for some guys, no more. You know what I mean? Like, I've had one – I don't know if I've had one or two or three or however many – but if I had another one, I'd hang it up. I'd probably never play beer league again. My brain means too much for me that I, I don't want to risk that. Other guys, like maybe, maybe they don't care about that. Maybe they're willing to have five or six. Like those thresholds are different, and that's why I think it's really hard to say what's what is career ending in a this merits, you know, a, a cap um, recapture versus does it. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean at some point there are things you're willing to play through, and at other points you you're not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's the challenge here, right? Because you can, again, view the Kucherov, the Kucherov situation the exact same way. You know, maybe he is not ready to play really up until the, the, the playoffs. And that's just the way it worked out in Tampa's favor. And you can you can say similar things for what the Red Wings were, you know, doing with Franzen and Zetterberg and, you know, some of these other cap recapture contracts. Uh, that that floated out there. I mean, there can be the determination that I've got this injury and I'm at this point now that it's sort of convenient for the team and I don't really want to play through it anymore. I'm going to just sit on LTIR, but that's just to me, it's it's sort of the same uncomfortable feeling I have about watching what Tampa did, you yeah. know, with their with with Kucherov. It's okay, that sort of feels icky, but who am I to really say that this isn't fair or this isn't right? 
it just doesn't feel good looking at it. And, and that's sort of yeah. the same issue I take with those. And, and you're right. I mean, even if you had an independent arbiter, what are you going to have them do? Tell the player they have to retire? Like right. you're done? Or tell them they have to play the last week of the season? Like, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like in Kucherov's case, like let's say, let's say he got healthy on April 20th was the first yeah. day that he would have normally been medically cleared. You're going to tell him like, oh, like you stand no benefit if you wait two more weeks after that or three more weeks after that. Like, how, like it's, it's really muddy water. It really yeah. is. So, so I, at the end of the day, I don't know what the answer is, but I think hopefully what we've been able to highlight here is that the rules suck, the enforcement <laughs> of them sucks, and none of us know what to do to make it better. Yeah. I, I do think that just saying salary cap stays the same in the playoffs solves 90% of the argumentation going on right now. Like like pro rata per game that you play, add it on to whatever, and that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that solves a huge part of, uh, you know, the aspect, particularly with the way that LTIR is enforced. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that solves exactly what you would have seen with Kucherov here. I don't think a games played requirement in the regular season is is fair whatsoever. I think that would have unintended consequences. Um, I agree. You know, the the other thing you have to think about is like how the salary cap is calculated on a daily basis. And if there's any downstream implications about how the cap is calculated, like do you keep it rolling into the playoffs? Does it pause at the playoffs? Like in terms of, you know, who you're able to maybe bring up or down in, in, in that regard. I don't know. I mean, I, there's certainly other details that would have to be ironed out in order to do that. But um, I do agree with you. I think that would solve a lot of it, but I still think there needs to be a long, long look at just LTIR in general and, is it really accomplishing what the NHL was hoping it would accomplish? Yeah. And, and I, I also think if you want to take it the other way, like your soft cap luxury tax system accomplishes probably 90% of this. So it does. Like, I mean, if you allowed teams to exceed this soft cap and then you have this hard cap that's right. that's much higher, then this becomes no issue. Like the Golden State Warriors, Clay Thompson's 30 plus million contract still counts. Right. He's out the whole season with an Achilles injury, but they can do it. They're 59 million over the, the soft cap, yeah. but they can still do it. And they're going to have to pay that luxury tax. Yeah, and so and so the result of that, you know, yeah. you're you're going to kick Florida two million, you're going to kick Arizona two million, you're going to kick Winnipeg two million, and and that's just what it, you're going to, you know, of all the revenue sharing teams, you're going to kick them a couple million each, and that's your penance for wanting to go eight million over the cap, ten million over the cap, whatever it might be. You got to pay that same amount the year over the cap, or or more than you are over the cap in revenue sharing to those teams that can't do that, and. Them's the breaks. Like, I think that's a fair solution too, because I don't mind the the Titans of the sport, the powerhouses of the sport, the Rangers, the Leafs, the Bruins, the Red Wings, the Blackhawks being like, we're rich. Let us, let us have unbelievable teams. Let us have the O2 Red Wings or whatever. Let us have, you know, just complete monstrous teams and, and don't make the lightning. Don't make Tampa tear down these immaculate uh, sorry, don't make Toronto tear down these immaculate teams they've built just because they did it too well. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, exactly right. Like we're basically with this hard salary cap that uh, in a league that doesn't make a ton of revenue. Right. That doesn't escalate in any sort of capacity. And we want to talk about paying players what they're worth. But we're going to have this fixed cap. And at the end of the day, what does it mean? It just means you tear down great teams yep. and end up distributing talent such that there really are no truly great teams. Like very few teams have been able to sustain excellence over, you know, more than five to six years in the salary cap era. I mean, 
Pittsburgh had their ebbs and flows. They were they made the playoffs every year, but they weren't truly excellent outside of, you know, 07, 08, and then really coming back in, uh, for, you know, 14, 15 through, you know, 17, 18. I think, you know, that was another kind of batch of good Pittsburgh teams. And obviously Chicago between, you know, 2010 and 2016 was, you know, a heck of a team. And Los Angeles between 2011 and 2016 was a heck of a team. But if you want to see, like, you want to grow the game. You want to see some of these teams be able to, you know, continue to to do what we did in Detroit, uh, which is have these great teams for 25 years. Then I do think there needs to be some more thought beyond just the current system, because I think as the way it stands right now, uh, it's just not a lot of fun. It's not a lot of fun. And you just end up with a bunch of people complaining the whole time. Soft cap with luxury tax also uh, is an anti-tanking mechanism because then it's like, oh, okay. Uh, you don't want to have to suck to get good again. Uh, well, you can also pay guys in free agency, and that's not a like you know dubious decision because who cares if you if 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 they're only worth eight million and you give them eleven because it's not a hard cap. Like if you overpay a guy by three million dollars, that's just what it takes, right? Like you you want you want that. I had an anecdote uh, in my I, I wrote a story about the 01 off season uh, for the Red Wings last summer, uh, and. It was when Ken Holland was talking about signing. I want to say it was Brett Hull. Uh, and he went to Mike Illich and he was like, we're you know this much over budget. Uh, and Illich said, uh, if we can add him, let's get it done. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah, it was Brett Hull. So, so Ken Holland says, Brett Hull's in the open market. We're going to have to get creative because we're way over budget. Mike Illich said, you know what? If we can add him. Let's get it done. Right. You want to be able to do that. Why do you want, why do you want to have a team that can't just say, all right, Add a Hall of Famer. Why not? Like, if you're the Red Wings right now and you want to speed up this rebuild, you know, there's really only so many ways to do it. And one of the main ones is free agency. And the main thing that holds teams back from doing it in free agency is the salary cap. So if you want to curb tanking, honestly, that's probably the best idea to curb tanking. Right there with the draft lottery is soft cap luxury deck. Now, the owners would hate it because they're going to spend more money that way. There's pressure to spend more money that way. Uh, But... Uh, fans would like it, and it would certainly, if you think tanking is this big, scary uh, monster in the closet, uh, that's a pretty good way to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, it at least offers another viable solution, I will say. Yeah. And I will say, you still look at the NBA and you see what the Thunder oh, and the Pistons yeah. and everybody did this year, and it, it it's still tanking. I mean, it, effectively, it's still tanking. But, but the Warriors could add KD. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like right. the, I'm trying to think who else has, has got the Heat could just add Jimmy Butler. They didn't have to. I mean, to you know, the, yeah. the Brooklyn Nets can trade for James Harden because right. they just want to. Right. They just materialize it's, like four all stars. Yeah. Like it's like, years. OK, we're going to just take Blake Griffin and we're going to take uh, James Harden. And oh, by the way, we're going to sign LaMarcus Aldridge, although that one ended up not working out. But it's just like we can do that. You know what? If you want to go be Joe Dumars and go sign Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva to massive contracts, by all means, go and do it. I think, yep. number one, it would create a, a much more fun environment from a team perspective. But number two, it would actually pay, start paying players what they're worth. Connor McDavid is grossly underpaid. Yeah. He's grossly underpaid. But you can't pay him more because then you can't fill the hockey team because of a hard cap. So why not let Edmonton go all out? Put a team around Connor McDavid. They have to pay the other teams in the, in the league to do it because they exceed this soft cap, but they can do it and it's fun. And you get to see Connor McDavid in the playoffs and that's always exciting. So, you know, I, I just, I just think it makes 
for a much more enjoyable sport overall. I tend to agree. So I, I like that solution. Anything else on this subject before? Uh, I don't even know how coherent anything I said was, but any other thoughts on that subject before we uh, before we uh, move on? No, I mean, I think uh, I think it's probably everything that was in my brain. I also don't know if any of that was coherent after a, <laughs> a lengthy day, but, you know, maybe you guys can figure something out from that. Hopefully, hopefully I was able to articulate about a quarter of the thoughts that are in my head about it. And hopefully it was the right quarter also. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> Always a gamble. Uh, we're going to get to the mailbag. So this one's from Adam. Uh, how is Michael Rasmussen trending in comparison to the type of player you would expect to get on average for a ninth overall pick? Not the kind you would hope to get, but how you would expect to get on average for a ninth overall pick. He says, I had high hopes for that pick and wasn't too excited when he was drafted, but the recent discussions have him thinking uh, expectations were likely too high. He's not been impressed by 90% of his games. He started to look like a legitimate player the last 10, 15 games this season, and that's his eye assessment. So Prashant, I don't know if there's a gsva way of looking at this a gar way of looking at this what but uh at least to, to your impression so far michael rasmussen how is he trending in comparison to the type of player you would expect to get on average for a ninth overall pick uh i mean that's a really good question you know we could attempt this with um you know with gsva because dom uh when he built his uh his draft uh he built a basically draft pick curve that looked at sort of seven you know the amount of gsva that a, a player would contribute um, in their first seven years post. Uh, and so, you know, if you look at, I think the ninth overall pick, I think it ends up being somewhere around like three GSVA, um, you know, which I can, I can double check here and, and, and confirm. So is he uh, two years in of the seven? Well, so he's, it's, it's seven years from the time of the draft. So oh, okay. he's actually what year five four now, years in. or no, yeah, four. year four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the ninth overall pick, it's, it's about, you know, three or four wins added, not a whole, and he's um, probably at zero sorry, actually right six, now. 6.3. And so this year he contributed 0.2. I think last year he was around, uh, last year he had nothing. And then the year prior, I think he was minus, you know, 0.1. So I think effectively he's well below where you would expect a ninth overall pick. Um, given that four years in, he's at roughly zero, and we t- tend to expect. So, with three years left, he would have to play at basically a two GSVA, a Bertuzzi ish level. Yeah. Guys who are around two, two GSVA this year Tavo Teravine and Johnny Gaudreau, Brock Nelson, Evander Kane, Rupi. But that's a shortened season. It's a shortened season. Yeah. Um, it's still, uh, I think he, Dom still prorates it to, to 82 games, though. Um, you know, so at least looking around this. I mean, another guy, William Nylander's at 2.15, Andres Reshkov's 2.14. No, because those guys outperform. Like, those are, I don't think that can be right because those guys are outperforming, vastly outperforming that that range. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still think it's prorated because if you think about it, like, most people will use a goals to wins conversion of about five and a half to two. And so, you know, hypothetically, if you multiplied this, the, those numbers by five, it's kind of in line with what you see on evolving hockey with, you know, Matthews being around 25 uh, goals above replacement, I think. Yeah. Involving hockey has him around 28. You know, McDavid's around that mark as well. Um, we can confirm with Dom for sure, but yeah. at the end of the day... We I should think, do that and circle back on it for sure. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, yeah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I think you're still asking for, you know, roughly being worth six wins over the next three years. I it's a high ask. Yeah. yeah, it's a really high ask. I don't I don't yeah. personally see that happening. No, I mean, my, if I had to guess, I would say that what's the what's the war for like the, or the GSVA for like the 20th pick? Uh, 20th pick is four. 
And so I think you, that's a lot more attainable. Yeah. I mean, that's still looking at about 1.3 GSVA for the next three years. Um, my, you know, bias is he probably comes in closer to three, um, okay. at most, which is around the 29th pick. Okay. Um, which oddly enough, that's where Canucks army had him ranked, uh, prior to the <laughs> draft, uh, was 29th. So I just have to throw that plug in there. But at the end of the day, you know, I think he, he's going to underperform that draft slot. I think you have to be prepared for that. This isn't, there shouldn't be new information. Yeah. Um, but your hope is that he can get really extract a lot of value over the next couple of years. Yeah. I don't think he's ever going to hit the expected for the ninth. Um, I do think that if he, uh, I do think if he becomes like a, a pretty good top nine piece that becomes a legit first rounder. Um, but I, I, that probably ends up, like you said, more in the twenties than in the, you know, the top 15 or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're looking for a guy who's somewhere between 20 and 30. Okay. All right. That makes sense. All right. Uh, on to the next ones we've got, um, what is a trade you could not pass up for Verona, Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Cider? This is from Ramson. This is spicy. I mean, Verona would probably have to net you a similar return to what you just got from Mantha. I mean, I think uh, with what he sort of showed in the last uh, half of this, I should say last quarter of the season there, um, I would almost want a Mantha-type return. And at that point, I'm going to yeah. say, yeah, give me that. Um, so, you know, looking at a first, a second, and a solid player or make it two firsts, um, something along those lines. I think Bertuzzi, you know, first plus prospect, uh, Larkin would probably have to be similar to the Verona deal, like a couple firsts to, to move him. And then most cider, I don't know, man, I don't know that there's anything you're going to offer me. I take that back. You can offer me a lot of different things, but, uh, would you do Eichel for cider straight up? I, I saw, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like you would absolutely yeah. do that, but Buffalo laughs at you for, for, for even offering that. Um, Here's my case for why they don't laugh. I, I don't think they do it. But like, so you got the, if there's a comp for this situation, it's probably Ryan Johansson, Seth Jones trade. Yeah. I think Jack so. Eichel, quite a bit better than Ryan Johansson. Do you think Seth, Moritz Sider can be as good as Seth Jones? Because yeah. the, the Seth Jones side won that trade, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no doubt. I think he can be as good as, Seth Jones, although Seth Jones analytically grades out terribly, I think that is fair. He was in the bottom one percentile. For you think he could be regarded as well as Seth Jones? I think so. I think he'd be regarded as well as Seth Jones um, from a name perspective. Now, we're again. I think everyone still sleeps so much on Jack Eichel because the guy yeah. is the guy to me. As I said on the last episode, is the top ten forward in this league. Um, easy for me. Um, so to to trade Mo Sider there. Uh, Buffalo would have to be expecting to get a guy that is going to be a top 10 defenseman in this league. And I just, you can't say that right now. You can't even can't, close. You can't it. like, yeah, you can't say that's the expectation. No. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can have, you can have a realistic hope of it or not realistic, a, a plausible hope of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could have a plausible hope. I can have a plausible hope of Michael Rasmussen <laughs> hitting the ninth overall pick GSVA, but uh, yeah, it's fair. not going to happen. I, I just, to me, chance. To me, again, and it's the way I perceive everything is I would rather be biased towards, you know, having the outcome not happen than have it actually happen in in a way such that I'm always prepared. I'm always over prepared. I'm not actually going in thinking I'm going to get more out of this than I actually did. Um, And so that's sort of my perspective on this. So, yeah, maybe Mo Sider ends up as a great defenseman. 
But for me, it's way too early to say that. I would project Sider to end up somewhere between the 20th and 50th best defenseman in the NHL at his peak. Does that seem fair? So that is a solid, solid number one number or top pairing defenseman. Yes. Yeah. Okay. With, with like a like a low end one with a, with a chance to be a, a good one, but more likely, uh, you know, either a low end best defenseman on a team or a high end second best defenseman on a team. That's fair. I mean, I'm I'm sort of walking in with uh, somewhere between thirty and ninety in my head. Yeah, and, and the, um, the broader range is always smarter. Like, there's totally still a chance he's a second pair defenseman. There completely is a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess for me, the, I'm going to have a wider sort of projection interval here, if you will, just because I haven't seen enough. Yep. At uh, at an NHL level, right? We've so far seen data in two leagues that we consider to be roughly equivalent to yep, the NHL. That aren't the NHL. Uh, or sorry, roughly half the yeah. equivalent of the NHL. Um, so there's there's no way for me to really translate and say he's going to be uh, much better than that. To me, it comes down to the scoring of, um, you know, if, if he's going to score 20 or fewer points a year, then I think he's more of a 2-3. And if he's going to score north of 30 then I think he's a good top pair defenseman, like top 50 defenseman in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily tie it all to the, to the point totals is kind of how I feel. No, I don't, but I'm just saying with, with the baseline of, like like Philip Peronic scores more than 30 points a year, and I'm not calling him a top 50 defenseman in the NHL, but Moritz Sider I think is going to be a, a high-end defender, and if he adds enough scoring to complement that, great. You know, like, like a Brett Pesci, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean Pesci's Pesci's outstanding in that regard. I mean, even though a guy like Jacob Slavin, right? Slavin's fifteen points this year in fifty-two games. I mean, that projects. That's I mean, he's, he has a career high of thirty-six, um, but he's very solidly between thirty and thirty-six for the majority of his career. And so, like to me, if if I can get most out to be a Jacob Slavin, I am thrilled. I am like yeah. I'm sprinting down the street. Um, levels of thrilled. Um, so I, I don't know that, and, and I think everyone would universally regard Slavin as a number one defenseman Absolutely. Um, in this league. So uh, I don't know that I would hinge it on that, but Good point. I think you're at least hoping he's a Jalmerson type player, which is just rock steady defensively. All I was trying to get at was, I think if, if you make the case that you, you think Sider has a chance to be regarded as well as Seth Jones, a chance, not a lock by any means. Seth Jones is really, really good. Um, and you agree that, you know, the the consensus is Columbus really won that trade and you're saying that's a comparable trade, then like you can say, okay, well then you have room to go up. I, I don't think Columbus takes it. And I actually don't even know if Detroit offers it. Like I think Cider has that kind of uh, the, the importance of, of him and the ELC and where they are in their rebuild. Like, I don't even know if, if it would be smart of Detroit to ultimately make that deal um, in context. I just think it's like probably the, the closest comparison I could see to that to that situation, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's probably the deal that, you know, is closest uh, or mimics that. So I think, I think it's reasonable. Yeah. All right. Uh, Moving on. Uh, What is the most memorable game one of a first round series in history? I can't get last year's lightning Columbus out of my head. (laughs) Game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to get a five OT game out of your head. Right. I mean, um, that's from Sam Chamelin, by the way. Yeah. I think most memorable was it specific to the first round or just any round? Uh, game one of a first round series, huh? Um, yeah, I mean that's tough. I don't know that I can really think of a game that's better than 
the that game we saw. I mean, really, the Lightning Florida game was, I thought was amazing. Yeah. Um, but again, going back to just last year, um, it's hard to beat that five OT game between Columbus and Tampa. I mean, I don't I don't really know that you can. Yeah. Both great games, both involving Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I'm like trying to think of if there's any sort of Red Wings games that ever really hit um, on that mark, and I, I really can't think of anything that comes, you know, to mind uh, in, in that light. Yeah, I don't think I can either. Um, Lee Campbell wants to know, is he crazy to think that if the Red Wings improve in the next two years and don't get one of these top-tier prospects, that they will be mediocre for the next 10 years? This is the way he thinks, and he says it is awful. I mean, I think it's hard to say that you're doomed to be mediocre for 10 years, but um, certainly missing out on Bedard, Mitchkoff, and Wright uh, would be detrimental to the rebuild in that and sense. Likely. Because, I mean, in the sense that you are any team is obviously better with yeah. one of those three guys. No, but like, and even two of those three guys. Like, it's likely that they yeah. would miss out on all of them. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it is likely that they're going to miss out on all of them. That being said, can you can you make a hockey team without one of those guys? You absolutely can, which is why I'm not going to say you're doomed to be mediocre for 10 years. It's just getting one of those guys is your best way to make sure you are not uh, going to be mediocre for the next 10 years. But the Wings do have some pieces in place. I offered a solution, you know, when I wrote this up uh, last month about get, get crazy with it. Go offer sheet Pedersen, go sign Dougie Hamilton bring up Lucas Raymond, and now you're in a position where you potentially can be much better depending on how good Raymond, Berger, and Sider are um, in addition to the two guys you had from this year's draft. So uh, to me, there's still ways to construct a team to where I'm not going to say you're committed to being bad. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, just just keep in mind, like, it's the, the top guys change. The top guys aren't always the best guys. Braden points are out there. Elias Pettersons are out there. Obviously, those guys take in very different ranges of the draft. But like you know, a, a fifth pick is not the same as winning a, as a pick that you need to win a lottery for. You know, Braden Point was taken in the third round. Like the, like those guys exist. You probably not get your odds of getting one are honestly probably lower than your odds of getting the top two pick. Um, but like, there's ways to to build teams that is not just around a number one or two pick. That said, do I think it's likely that you become a top four team in the NHL in the next eight years if you don't get a top two pick? I can't say I think that's likely. Yeah, I, even if you got one, I can't say that it's likely. Right? Yeah. I mean, look at Edmonton. Sure. <laughs> They're still not. Sure. And they haven't been at any point in time with Connor McDavid. So, And they got the best player, uh, arguably, you know, of the last 20 years. Yep. Uh, and, and they're still not there. So uh, there's no way you can really make that bet. All right. I said at the top of the show we are going to do serious predictions. I uh, flew right through it. So let's just do that right now. We probably don't have as much time to go in depth on them. But... Uh, Panthers lightning. Uh, I got, I mean, I had Tampa, I think in six beforehand and I'm going to stick with that. All right. Uh, Oilers jets. Uh, I went, I went Oilers in seven. I like the jets depth and goaltending, but, uh, I think Oilers talent gets it done. I agree. Uh, predators canes. Uh, I took Carolina in six. I think Nashville is going to be tougher than people realize. Nashville's won 20 of the last 28 games. They're on fire. Um, but Carolina in six, I got Carolina in four. But I might be sleeping on the Predators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a lot of those Predators games were against Detroit, but yeah. they won 20 of 28 games. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so. uh, Toronto, Montreal. Uh, had to have to take the Leafs in six here, although I think it'll probably end up shorter than that. Yeah, I took him in five. I think Carey Price steals one, although he might not be in net for game one. 
Potentially? I don't know what... I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just going to play for Laval. I mean, I don't know what's <laughs> happening with him and Gallagher. But it's... Sure, that's a that's a conditioning stint. Yeah, that's that, that totally counts. All right. Uh, West, who's in the West? Colorado and St. Louis. Uh, Colorado and four. Yep, I got Colorado and four. Uh, Minnesota and Vegas. I think this is the one that uh, annoyed the most people. I took Minnesota and six. I did too. What do we know that other people don't? <laughs> look... Look, we're just very good at this. Um, actually, no, I just went for the uh, teams that everyone was picking. I decided to pick the opposite, and that was just the series I was going to do then. So I, uh, I mean, Minnesota just had Vegas's number all year, and I, I think you know I, I do like both teams. I like the way they're both built. I, I think Minnesota's got some some buzz to them this year. Minnesota's the team you don't want to play. Yeah, the way they play with Kaprizov, and then you know Vegas is still mixing uh, Pacioretty, right? So I don't. If it, depending on how long he's out, I mean, that could uh, definitely tip Minnesota's way, as Game 1 already did. Yeah. Boston, Washington. Uh, I took the Bruins here in six, although uh, Washington played pretty well in that first game there. I did too, and I'm worried about that pick now. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to get shaky goaltending from Tuka Rask, I think that just sort of changes everything. Yes. Not expecting Washington to get any sort of goaltending, and lo and behold, Craig Anderson comes in and saves the day, and sure, that's playoff hockey. Help me out. What's the last series? Penguins, Islanders? Yeah, Penguins Islanders. Um, I took the Islanders in seven. I took the Pens in six, and I already want to change my pick. I every year I pick against the Islanders, and then by the end of the first Islanders game, I remember how much I love watching the playoff Islanders. Like they're just, just so annoying, and I love them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like root for them to win it all. I hope they do. You know what? That was the entire reason why I picked them is because every year people pick against the yeah. Islanders, and I was like. <laughs> You know what? I've watched them firsthand go to the second round. I've watched them firsthand give teams fits. They no went to the third to round last year. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, they went to the conference finals. No one wants to play them. No. So, you know, I'm picking the Islanders because people need to stop sleeping on the Islanders. And I also just like, it's such a delight to be on Twitter watching everyone melt down about how the Islanders are giving a clearly more skilled, more talented team. Like, they're getting lucky. You know, the Jari, blah, blah, blah. He lets in easy ones. Well, too bad. That's the Islanders, baby. Look, every year, we're just going to go through this year after year. Last year was the conference finals. Year before, they made it to the second rounds uh, and, and ended up losing to the Hurricanes in a sweep there. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's fun. Like, yeah, they just continue to annoy people. Did you great. like my little Anthony Beauvillier offer sheet proposal I texted you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I totally missed it when you sent it. But, uh, you know, if the Islanders are still cap-strapped here, uh, would be fun. You go. I think you go short. Because if they accept it, then, you know, it's it's just giving them a high... Uh, well, I guess they've changed the QO rule. But uh, if they accept it, it doesn't lock in anything long-term. And you go, you know, 800000 to a $1 million over the projection. They're cap-strapped. They probably find a way to match. But you make it annoying enough. I think two times Oh, four. I go bigger than that. If, if I'm going short, right, in a uh, scenario where the, the cap doesn't escalate, and I'm Detroit with $50 million in cap space, I don't care if I pay him two or three million over what he's worth. No, no, like, no, no, no. You don't want to give up the 2022 pick. Like so my, my thing is. Like, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's like so 4.3. It's, it's the high. It's the high at 4.2 or 4.3. I can't remember which one is the high end of that tier. And so I think you go that for like two years, which is short enough that it gets him closer to UFA in case they match and you can take a run at him then. Uh, and high enough that they have to at least consider. They probably match it. The compensation's nothing, but they have to do some annoying stuff to make it work. With Andrew Ladd yeah. or Leo Komarov. I mean, is Beauvillier not worth a first and He third? is, but they got to pay. Well, is it worth a 22, though? I don't know. I mean, yeah. 
that, that's that's fair, and you can argue that it's it's not worth it. You could just offer pick. this year's pick for Beauvillier, and I would be fine with that. Right. So, uh, but yeah, the Islanders are win now, like, so they wouldn't do it. Yeah, but I really like Beauvillier. Say, is all I'm trying to say. He's a good hockey player. <laughs> yeah, he's a good hockey player. They got to pay this summer. They've got to pay uh, Adam Pellick, who is really really good. They've got to pay Beauvillier. They've got to pay Oliver Wallstrom, who no, sorry. No, they got to pick Kiefer Bellows, not Wallstrom. Wallstrom really stood out to me yesterday. He's uh, he's coming around. He's turning that corner. Sezikis, Palmieri. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're either of those guys are back. But at the they end, they gave of the day, a you're first right. for Palmieri. They got to resign him. Rental, it's rental season. Oh, it kills me when teams don't extend the guys they give up firsts for. Lou Lamarillo, baby. It's uh, it's Lou's game. Fair enough. Um, all right, I think that's gonna do it for us today. Uh, hopefully, we didn't just blab for. An hour and ten, although I know we did just blab for an hour and ten. Uh, and I also really hope that we have some end of season news for you next time we record. But no promises, because out of our control. We'll talk to you then. Bye.